Today's scripture comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 90, and it is not a a psalm of Asaph, for those of you keeping score at home. Um, Please read along with me. Uh, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again and welcome to Holy Trinity Church. Uh, It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for this morning. Uh, Before I do, I just want to acknowledge uh, one of the bishops of our city, Coach Wayne Gordon and his wife, and thank you for all of your ministry in this city for more than 40 years, I think. So uh, if you know Lawndale Christian Church and Lawndale uh, Christian Health Clinic, and everything that has uh, been birthed out of that. We thank God for your surviving uh, a variety of trials over the years, and uh, just want to thank you for your investment in this city. This is Ronald Kogo, and uh, we're, I'm going to ask him a couple of questions just so you can get to know him. Um, the first one is, Ronald, just say a word about your family, especially how we can pray for your family. Uh, I'm Ronald Kogo, so... I'm a father and a husband, one wife, five kids, uh, 17, 16, uh, twin girls, 11. There will be 12 this year. How many wives? One wife. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Continue. <laughs> and we have a boy, uh, seven years, who keeps us busy uh, at home. How would you pray for us? One, uh, my kids have not come to the saving knowledge of Christ, so pray that the Lord would open their hearts to believe Jesus. Secondly, uh, pray for my wife. Um, she struggles with fibro uh, when things are hard, so pray that Lord gives her much grace. Uh, pray basically as a family, we would model Christ to the community that we are serving. 
Good. And then say a word about your church where you're serving. Uh, my church is called Covenant Baptist Church, Nakuru. We are four hours drive outside Nairobi. For those of you who have been to, to Kenya, uh, we are in a community or in a county. It's now a city, 2.1 million people. A majority of those, 70% below 35 years. Uh, it's a community that has all people. We, it's a city that how we, we are seven, from seven languages or tribes in Kenya. So all of them meet there. So we serve everyone uh, from those who, who come for studying, those who come for work. We meet all these people. Our church was planted in 2018. It's four years old, 45 members, 70 on a Sunday. We still yearn to for much growth. Mm -hmm. All right. Amen. And um, Ronald's part of a, a family of churches called Neapolis. Really thankful for him. How we met four and a half years ago. How sick was I when we met uh, Ronald? He doesn't want to come back because he falls sick. So <laughs> <laughs> he was laughing at me because I couldn't even talk. I had to just lie down. So let me let me pray for Ronald. Thank you for being with us this morning. I'm not sure if he is going to be on. Kenyan time or Mzungu time this morning, we'll see, or on American time, we'll see. He asked me how long does he get to preach for? As long as the Holy Spirit leads him. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for Ronald and ask that uh, as we open your word, as he opens your word, that you'd give him insight and that uh, the sweetness of your presence and your conviction and your joy would be upon us, Lord, that you'd strengthen the work of our hands together in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm grateful for this opportunity to be here in Chicago. It's my first time to be in Chicago. Uh, not my first time to be in the US. 2019 I was in the US in Orlando. We went a meeting and then we made our way to California. So this is my first time to be in the US. I'm around here for five weeks uh, moving around America, uh, so uh, I'll be out tomorrow. Uh, I'm grateful to be in partnership with Neopolis, as Pastor Jonah said, we have been with him for the last four years. I've known my brother Sally, he came to preach for us in our conference. This morning we uh, turn our eyes to Psalms 90. As I asked Brother John, how long do you take in a sermon? I said, you know, today is the African man from Africa, so you will bear with me, but I don't intend it to take so long. And I'm only here today, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Psalms 90, we have already read the text. I just want us to have a brief background of what is happening. The Psalm is written by Moses, who is described to us as a man of God. We have all read the stories of Moses uh, in the book of Exodus. We have read Moses in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. We read about Moses in the New Testament. Jesus quotes him in Luke 24. We know so much about Moses, isn't it? And he's described to us as a man of God. And as we look at this particular Psalm, if you read through it, you'll find the Psalm is about one thing, God. The way Moses writes, you will see over and over, he's referring to God. The psalm is not about Moses. The psalm is about God. Who God is, 
how God deals with us. And so, when you look at this psalm, the background, probably if you, in your own time, you can read Numbers 14, Numbers 20, where we are brought to an understanding of the things that Moses went through. So we have the death of his brother, Aaron. We have the death of his sister, Miriam. And at some, also, we have in, some, in Numbers 20, where the Lord reminds Moses, you will not enter Canaan. He has worked so hard with his men, all the way from Egypt, looking forward to the promised land, to enter the land. But the Lord does not allow him to enter the land. Why? Because Moses disobeyed God. Moses was taught to speak to the rock, and out of anger, Moses struck the rock. Water came out, people had water, but the Lord told Moses, because you have not honored me, you will not see Canaan. Moses has seen it all with the children of Israel. More than two million people who came out of Egypt, Moses has seen it all. He has led a rebellious people. He has seen these people over and over, God reaching out to them, but they reject God. In their desire for idolatry, they worship the golden calf. For their desire for meat, they accuse Moses of bringing them to the land that may kill them. Moses has seen the earth opening up and the children of Korah have been swallowed. The Lord has caused so much that Moses has been able to witness. He's a man who loved the Lord, but when you read this psalm, he's a man who fully understood God, who God is. So he writes from that background to remind us of who God is and who man is. We're going to look at five things. Don't worry, there are five. It's not going to be two hours. So we want to see from this psalm, one, the eternity or the eternality of God. Secondly, we will look at the sovereignty of God. Thirdly, we will look at the severity of God. God is a wrathful God. We will see the frailty of man before the Lord. And then we will look at the mercy of God. And you can see everything is about God. So as we read, as we study, have that background in mind. What has taken place in the life of Moses? He has buried thousands and thousands of people. He has seen his good friends pass over. Those he thought they were going to Canaan together, they have died. And Moses knows the reason why they are dying is because they have disobeyed God. Moses begins his psalm by reminding us, O oh Lord, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now think about those words of Moses in the light of what has happened to him and to Israel. Moses still cries out to Lord, God, you have been our dwelling place. 
not now, but in all generations. What generations are these? He has in mind, even before his own self existed, he has in mind the patriarchs, he has in mind Abraham, and he's saying, in all this time, Lord, even in our own dwelling in the wilderness, you have been our dwelling place. Despite all that has happened to us, you have not left us. You have been with us. In Moses doing so, he brings to us, or to the fall, two things about the about God as our dwelling place. Moses wants to remind us, God, there is no time he has left his people alone. Even when they were in Egypt, when we read about Exodus, all the plagues that happened, God was revealing to himself, to his people, who he is, I am who I am. At the same time, revealing to himself, to Pharaoh, I am the Lord who exists powerful and majestic over all the gods of this world. God has always been with his own people in all circumstances. When they were in Egypt, in suffering, God was with them. When Pharaoh persecuted them, God was with his people. When they are moving out of Egypt, God was with them in the wilderness in the pillar of fire, God was with them. The very reason why the tent of meeting was raised up in the wilderness is to remind them God's presence with his own people. One thing you find, how much Moses' theology was good of suffering. That the God they worshipped was not only a God who is there when things are good. He was not their dwelling place because all things was going on well with them. He was their dwelling place even when things were hard and all generations have been wiped out. Moses still raises his voice. Lord, you are still with us. Despite the fact that only two people you have declared to enter Canaan, you are still a God whose presence is with his people. We as Christians, we go to remind ourselves this. That the Lord who has saved us does not forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 reminds us he will never leave us nor forsake us. Today, many Christians think God is with you just because life is going on well with you. When things are going wrong, in our context back home, people look for all manner of solutions. The demons have to be cast out. People have to lament and accuse God of unfaithfulness because things are going wrong. God's presence has always been with his people. But look what Moses says in verse 2. God's presence is not only with his people, but God has existed from everlasting to everlasting. God has been there. There's no day God ceased to exist. He's an eternal God. He has created the heavens and the earth. All things move and have their holding in the Lord. 
He is an eternal God. And sometimes we have, we have this question, why would Moses want to remind us this? We know we are good theologians, isn't it? Trinity Church. Pastor John reminds you, God has always been there. You have no doubt in your mind, God has always existed. But why do we have to, why does the Bible constantly remind us about the eternality of God? God wants us to encourage us. We have not existed because at some point God never existed. God does not exist because we exist in good times. God has been there. He's, he has no years. He's ageless. We cannot count his years. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God has not existed because America started to exist. We do not make God to exist. Our circumstances do not define the existence of God. God has always existed. We exist at a certain point of life. We live in this world, and at some point we'll go. We'll leave it. That's not with God. So Moses wants to remind us, this great God who has caused all this, he saw it from the beginning happening. He knows it well because he crafted it to be so. Why? Because he is God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Our understanding about God defines or helps us how to behave when persecution, when trials come our way. When we think in trials that we, God does not exist because we are in big problems, then we, we don't know who God is. God cannot be defined by we enjoying life. God cannot be defined by we not enjoying life. God is, has always been there. Whether things are good for us or bad, God has always existed. When you read the New Testament over and over, Jesus who is God, we are reminded that he has been there. John 1, 3, nothing was created without him. He was with God in the beginning. Moses wants us to have a good understanding of our theology about God in all circumstances. Sickness, a need, violence, whatever kind of trouble. Back in our country, there always is trouble when it's election. We are, we are in an election year. We are going to elections on the 9th of August. And everyone, that's the time people are taking leaves to run away to go to the village because it's trouble. You don't know if you'll survive through the election. You don't know who will come to knock on your day, on your door, the time of the election. And many Christians ask themselves, if God exists, why does he allow us to go through this? There are things we don't know. We can't know everything. But the truth is here, our understanding about God and his existence allows us aids our way of how we go through life in this world. Moses says in verse, in verse 3 to verse 7, 
he reminds us of the sovereignty of God. God does not only exist, that we don't only exist in him. He's not only God who has been everlasting to everlasting, but he's a God who rules and reigns over all things. He has all power and majesty. No one can match him. No one has ever been. No one has thwarted God's plans. No one has won against God. He has planned everything. He reigns over all things. Nothing is out of his will. We included. We are part and parcel of how he exercises his sovereignty. Look at verse 3, what he says. You return, you return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday. When it's past all as watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the night it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. God, when you look at what's saying one, God is sovereign over human life. You are not in control over your life. God rules you. You are his subject. God owns you. Everything you have and what you are belongs to God. He decides when you die. That's what we don't want to hear. He decides when all of us he, he, he has a calendar when we will cease to live. No matter what we do. I've been in flights and it reached a place I was like, I wish there was a train or a car I would go with. Because it's not an easy thing to be in the air. This thing is being held with by nothing. It's just there in the air. So anytime you feel a turbulence, you're like, oh dear Lord, who told me to get into this stuff? <laughs> and I just convinced myself yesterday morning. And I told myself, so even if you fear, what will you do? Nothing. If God says you will go down, you will go down. I don't want to think about that if I'm going in a plane. <laughs> because my mind tells me if I'm on the ground, I will not die quickly. If I'm in a car, it's not easy for me because it's controlled on the ground. But then I remembered God gives life. God takes life. Our days are numbered by God. They're not numbered by... We don't decide when we are going to live. I once had a man who came and told me God has told him he will live for 65 years. And I said, I wouldn't be happy at all if God told me I will live for a particular time. Because then, I will be working so hard to beat that time. When it approaches, I will get more anxious. I will be more fearful. I would rather things be the way they are. When he decides to come home, you go. And Moses saying, what happened to the Israelites in the desert? It was not a coincidence. 
the Lord took their lives. He killed them. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness because of their disobedience. God takes life. He takes life for the Christian. The Bible reminds us, you know, the death of a sinner is a good thing before the eyes of who? The Lord. But you know, even us Christians, we don't want that death, isn't it? I always give an example in church when we are gathered on Sunday. If a lion just gets into the church, you know, and you are preaching a sermon on how good heaven is, and the lion gets in, you will see how everyone runs for, no one gets wants to go to heaven that moment. <laughs> because we want to live. We, God, has sovereign over life. Daniel, in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar confesses that in Daniel 4 verse 34 to 35. God reigns and rules over all things, including he gives power to the leaders and he takes it away. God is sovereign over human life. He commands us to die and we die. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fall into sin. To dust you came, to dust you will go back. So it is in vain to start casting out the spirit of death. It's in vain. Nothing is going to happen unless the Lord decides that's what. It happens. But also he says, God is sovereign over human life, but also God is sovereign over time and seasons. He's not bound by time. Look at what he says. He says this in verse 5, five verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past, all as watch in the night. We work on timetables. We work on time. I was told 35 minutes, I must finish my sermon. God doesn't look at that. Okay? We are so much in a hurry to do stuff. We think time is running out for God. He isn't. He's sovereign over time. The seasons are in his own hands. You read Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 11. He makes the rain to rain, the sun to do what? To come up. Here you have winter. When I talk about winter, John asks me, is this your winter? What is our winter? Sometimes I think, what should I tell him? We don't have snow. We just have some cold stuff, you know, which for you guys, it's, it's not cold. But it's sort of our winter. That's our winter. 20, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, that's our winter. And I know for you guys, that's nothing. You can walk with a t-shirt. <laughs> for us, we walk with the jackets. We as humans, we are slaves to time. We only have so much time in a day. We only have so much time in this life. We have become slaves to clocks. We, have, we are chasing time every now and then, and yet our God is above time. He invented time, he rules over time. Does that mean we live carelessly? The answer is no. The answer is no. We must plan. We must live in an orderly way. But we should not think that our time 
we have to tie God down to do stuff. I've been involved in three church plants. And many times as you plan a church plant, you tell yourself, I want at this particular time of my life, this to be done. And, and God has surprised me many times. The things I've planned, they have not happened. Because God allowed them to happen at his own time. God is sovereign over time. Look at what Moses says. He paints a, a mental picture of a thousand years in verse 5 and 6. He says, a thousand years to God are like a flash of flood in the desert. In this, Moses remembers the Israelites who are in the desert, and there you get flashed of flood. The rain falls, all the sudden carries off soil and is gone. And then Moses also says, a thousand years to you is like a dream. A dream flashes in your head when you are asleep and disappears. God owns time. The third point Moses reminds us here in verse 7 to 9, the severity of God. Verse 7 he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. God judges sin severely. And look at what Moses describes. How does God deal with sin? He says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. The Lord tells Moses in the wilderness, none of these people will see Canaan because they have disobeyed me. He doesn't turn from that. He doesn't turn from that. God says and God acts. Our generation today, we preach a God of love. A God who entertains the sinners. He loves us so much. So that even when we are in sin, even when we continue to disobey him as Christians, he will still love us and embrace us. Moses gives us here an example of how God deals with the sin. He deals with the sin severely. He does not entertain sin. Habakkuk 1.13, his eyes are so pure that he doesn't look at sin. Look at how our sins are before him. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We can't hide anything from God. He sees those sins we love so much in our hearts, we like to meditate upon. The things we do and nobody knows, God knows. The things you think about in your blanket, God sees them clearly. He's not a man who sees when we are with them. God sees all. Our sins before God are clear like day. Don't think God doesn't know you. Because I don't know what you do, or your pastor doesn't know what you do, that, that, that does not mean you are free to continue doing what you are doing. Moses says, God, look at verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. 
We bring our years to an end like a sigh. God, we are sinners. And you know all our sins. We cannot hide anything from you. But God, he judges sin. Just because God has allowed you to go scot-free for many years doesn't mean he's blind to your sin. He's not. At the right time, he will strike. If you don't repent, he will deal with you. Even as a Christian, he will discipline you severely. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says he killed some for coming to the table in the wrong way. Ananias and Sapphira, he killed them because of their sin. You're not special. You're not special. God will deal with you. God's judgment is not something to take lightly. It's not something to take lightly. When you talk to, uh, to people about hell, people ask you questions like, have you ever been there? How do you know hell exists? He's a loving God. John 3.16, he loved us and he gave us his son. The gospel is a two-sided coin. It's like money. It's a legal tender. Money is not a legal tender if one side is real and the other side is not real. If you take a one dollar note and you go to buy stuff, on one side it's white, blank, but on one side it's a real dollar, you'll be arrested. You'll be arrested. Why? That's not a legal tender to do business. The same with the gospel. It's not only God is love. It's but also God is justice. God judges sin. And for us who are Christians, we know that. What God has done to his son Jesus on the cross. God's wrath is poured upon Jesus. Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God dealt with his son so heavily to save sinners like you and me. Jesus has drunk upon himself God's wrath for sinners. And for those who reject Jesus, do you think God will let you go free? Enter his heaven? You won't. Jesus says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father unless he goes through me. Why? Because Jesus alone paid for our sins. He drank God's wrath. He has turned away God's wrath from us. When we come to God, we are received because Jesus paid for our sin. But, brothers and sisters, if we have come to Jesus and we deliberately continue in sin, Hebrews 12, he will discipline you. He will discipline you as a child whom he loves so much. For those of you who are parents here, if your daughter or your son misbehaves, do you clap your hands? And you say, hey, big man, you are growing up. 
There's nothing like that. Here, come here. It's either spanking or grounding, isn't it? Have five. I know what that looks like. If we, we sinners, don't allow our children to do what they want, how much more God? A great God, a holy God, a mighty God. God does not overlook sin. We have in the Bible numerous examples where God had not let sin go without being punished. Numerous examples. The reason why Israel went into captivity is because of sin. God allowed that. You read Habakkuk, in the book of Habakkuk. When Habakkuk laments to God, God says, I am bringing an army, a ruthless army, to deal with you. They went to Babylon. They suffered in Babylon because of their sin. Praise be to God that we sinners, we can look to Jesus and be accepted. We can look to Jesus and have a hope to be with a holy God in eternity. We can look to Jesus and we know Jesus has been punished. He will not take us to hell because Jesus has paid for our sins. That's a joy that every Christian should live with, should embrace, hope in, and always live a life to glorify God. Then Moses continues to remind us our fourth point, the frailty of man. Look at verse 10 and 11. The frailty of man. He says, the years of our life are 70, or seven by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but a toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. How does Moses describe us? We are puny, we are weak, we are mortal. We are, we, we are here on, for a breath and we are gone. We are not invisibles. Some of you, there's a movie we love to watch, The Invisibles, you know. Those of you, you know, we love to watch because we like action. And we like those old guys to watch them. Rambo, Schwarzenegger, and whatever. They are the invisibles. No one, every movie, they are the stars. You know when you watch a movie and you find the guy, even if he's kicked and shot, he doesn't die. That's not how humanity is. Those are movies. We are frail. We are weak. We die. You can turn with me so quickly to Ecclesiastes 12 and see the picture the Bible gives us of our frailty. Ecclesiastes 12. So what Solomon 
writes about us. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terror are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. They, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. What Solomon gives us here is an imagery of aging. That look at yourself in this image as a person. He talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars, the clouds. An imagery to show us youth is a dawning light. Old age is twilight, little light before darkness of night. The keepers of the house, arms, our hands, they help you maintain your body, which is pictured as a house. Strong men, legs, which are pillars of the house. Doors, lips that have nothing or less to say. The grinders are your teeth. As you grow, you age, they fall out. They become weak. You can't chew what you used to chew. You now say, boil it so much. You used to enjoy the steak. It's never enjoyable again. Because your teeth cannot hold hard meat. That's what happens. That's what happens. Sleepless, and you keep up working in the early hours of the morning. Sleep, as you grow older, what happens to all of us? You sleep little. You have to take medications to sleep. I have to take some to sleep here. That's what my brother John told me. So, I'm, you know, you are getting there. You are getting there. Daughters of song, your ears and voice is faint and weak. You cannot sing the way you used to sing. You don't anymore appreciate good music. Old age. Old age. Verse 5, he says, They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. You are afraid of heights. That happens. When you see our old grandfathers and mothers, they don't like to go up, isn't it? You, you, you are weak. You know you, are, you will fall down and die. That, that's a reality of life. The almond tree, white hair on an old man's head, beauty is fading away. Is going. The young ladies, they say, what kind of man do you want? A six-pack guy. <laughs> a guy who goes to the gym, when he puts on a coat, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, it can't, the hand can't go in. 
and say, he will protect me. He will grow old. He will need some protection also. <laughs> That's a reality that Solomon is reminding us here. He says the grasshopper is a metaphor of sexual desire. As you grow old, it's going away. It's going away. When you are young, you talk as if you'll never get old. When I counsel young men who are going to marriage, there's nothing else they think about in marriage but sex. And they tell you, that's what I'm waiting for. And I always tell them, you know what? That is not food. It doesn't take too long before they come to you and they tell you, you are right. That's what he's saying here. All you lived for and chased after is all gone. Silver cord is your spinal cord. You are growing old. You are becoming more weaker. You need a stick to help you to walk around. That's the Bible saying. Don't say this guy is saying bad things. That's the Bible. It's describing me. It's describing you. The golden bowl is a picture of your brain. Our thinking becomes dim. Or oh, the picture is shattered at the fountain. Verse 6 is your heart, your fountain which pumps blood to your body. Once that is shattered in a heart attack or something, you are gone. As somebody else said, as we age, we eat more medicine than food. That's life. That's life. Verse 7, he says, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. See again this dust of metal from Genesis 3. We go back to death. We die. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Death. You are not of your own. God takes breath out of you because it's his. It's not yours. You are God's property. If you are a Christian, you have been bought by the precious blood of who? Jesus Christ. You are God's property. If you are not a Christian, you are still a property of God, which he will throw away in hell. Brothers and sisters, what a picture of a wasteless life. That if we invest in this, we are wasting ourselves. If you don't understand God, you are living your life for this life to enjoy it. You are wasting your life. This is the reality. What will happen to you? So then, what do we do? Look at verse 12. Hope from verse 12 to 17. This is what we are. This is who God is. We know when all this said, fear grips us. No hope. If this is what God is and this is what we are, is there any hope? Look at what Moses says. He turns to give us hope. Verse 12. So, teach us. Lord, this is who you are. This is we, who we are. 
we are frail. We are sinners. You are holy God. So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. As I said, this psalm is about God. That for us to be able to understand how we live this life and leave it to the honor and the glory of God, we turn to the same God, the wrathful God. We turn to him for mercy. Teach us, Lord. Instruct us, Lord, to number our days. He's not saying physically, or, or, you know, he's not saying like literally, teach us to say, today is one day, tomorrow is... No. He's saying, teach us to live this life in the light of who you are. Teach us. Look at what he says in verse 13. He uses, return, verse 14. Satisfy us, verse 15. Make us glad, 16. Let your work be shown to your servants, verse 17. Let your favor, the favor of the Lord our God, our God be upon us. What should we ask from the Lord? How should we live in the light of the truth that we return to him? We return to God and ask for mercy. Teach us that we may have a heart of wisdom. Not to make plans, that's not what he's saying. Not to come up with uh, greater drugs. Not to be big in this world. Teach us wisdom that we may know. Wisdom that will grow us to God, that will cause us to love the Lord, that will cause us not to waste our lives in this world. So what does wisdom look like? Verse 13, he says, return, O God, how long have pity on your servants? Grant us mercy. Grant us a heart to live a life that is repentant. Lord, work in our hearts. Give us a clear vision of who you are that we may follow you. Teach us your ways. The Lord, we may live to glorify you. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, Paul reminding of Timothy about scripture. Paul says the scriptures are wise to make us, to give us salvation. And so the wisdom here Moses is praying for is not a man-made wisdom. It's not a wisdom that we are going to sit down and say, how can it be done? How do we live this life? It's there in the scriptures. God has given us the Bible. We go back to the scriptures. That's where God's voice is. That's where the Lord is leading us. It's not a vision in the night, a dream in the night somewhere. It's giving ourselves to this, the God's word to read it, to study it, and obey it, and find our comfort and hope in what God says in the scriptures. This is wisdom. And in that wisdom, as we read scripture, what happens? Verse 14, God satisfies us in the morning with his steadfast love. God reveals to us what he has done for us in his son, Jesus. 
He exposes us to this great love. He has shown us in Christ. He shows us his son dying on the cross for our sin. And he tells us, here, you are forgiven, you are loved, you, you have hope that is eternal. He brings us, he opens our eyes that we have been blinded by the devil. And he brings us in before him to see what he's doing in Jesus. What he has done in Jesus. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil. Give us gladness and hope. Joy. Brothers, joy does not come by possessing stuff. That's not what Moses is talking about here. Joy does not come by having a better job. Or having a great truck. One of the things I've seen here is guys ride big trucks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, we don't have those back at home. It is easy to come to America and say, I should go with one back home. He's not asking for worldly stuff. That's not the point he's saying here. How does God satisfy us? How does he make us glad throughout our days? Pointing us back to Jesus. He's our joy. He's saying, let Jesus, as Paul says in Colossians 3, 16, 17, let your word dwell in us richly so that we may sing psalms and spiritual songs to one another. We may be able to edify each other in the Lord as we await the coming of our Savior. Let us find Jesus enough for us. We feed on him. We love him. Let us find him as the only hope and the one we live for. That our eyes are captured on who Jesus is. Are kept on Jesus. And the Hebrews remind us, Hebrews 12, fix your eyes upon Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. That Jesus consumes us. And we are consumed with God and his purposes in this world. To see Christ taken to nations. Those who don't know Jesus, they hear about the gospel. That God's will and purposes is what we live for. Is what we work hard for. Is what we give towards. Is what we love brothers and sisters for. That's why he says, verse 16, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. What is this? What is this God to show us? Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the work of your hands upon us. Yes! Establish the work of your hands. Brothers, I know here guys learn. I know here we have degrees seated here. We have guys in the world seated here who are super guys. But that's not what? This is not what verse 16 is talking about. Show us the work of your hands. What is God's work of his hands? Help us, Lord, to appreciate who you are. When we look at the heavens and all that God made, we bow. We bow down to him. Psalms 19. The heavens declare your glory. When we look, we say, yes, God, you exist. But above all things, to see Jesus again, God is not in any way 
doing stuff in any other way in this world apart from Jesus through Christ. God is saving a dying world through Jesus. God is keeping us in salvation through Christ. God is in the business of saving sinners through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. So what Moses is saying is this. Teach us this, Lord. Teach us this. You and I, let's see this as we come to the scriptures every day. Let's see Jesus, not ourselves or any other stuff. Let's see God at work. Let's give ourselves to this great work of our God. There is hope. There is hope. We will die, but there is hope we can die in Jesus. Amen? Amen. There is hope if we look to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we do come to you. We are weak men. We are frail. You are God. Lord, you are eternal. You keep us. You watch over us. We thank you even now for Jesus. We thank you that, Lord, in Christ you are keeping us until the day Jesus comes back. Lord, that in Christ you are in the business of saving sinners. This morning we pray, Lord, would you keep our eyes to our great Savior, Jesus. That, Lord, as we live through this life, may we not find any satisfaction in anything else but in the person and the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Do this in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.